Um, all right, so let's get into today's message. Are we, so we are looking at 15 emphasis for rediscovering and restoration. So this is a series that we're calling Rediscovering and Restoring Biblical Christianity. Both words are very important. We have to go through a rethink process, uh, dig deep in the scriptures. Let's, uh, you know, what we probably have, like there are seasons where this is more true than, than others. Uh, when Jesus was on the earth the first time, the gospels say, this people honors me with their lips, yet their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching us their doctrines, the teachings of men and not of God. And so the Pharisees' approach to the scriptures was very evangelical. It was very fundamental. They uh, had a very high view of scripture, but they had lousy paradigms of interpreting the scripture. They had lousy hermeneutical principles. And so uh, we're probably living in a time when uh, in the so-called Bible-living Christianity, there is more lip service given to we follow the Bible than any other time in church history with at less actual following the Bible than any other time in church history. It's kind of amazing. But uh, that was very characteristic of the people of God in Jesus' day. And so what God has in mind, you know, a lot of people uh, realize, call even the 20th century was the century of the Holy Spirit and the, the birth of the Pentecostal movements and the charismatic movement. And off uh, whatever you think of all that, uh, most people really get it that uh, for the, you know, the Holy Spirit tends to be for a number of reasons. I just gave a teaching to some people in India about the three main reasons why the Holy Spirit is the neglected member of the Trinity in our day. And so, um, you know, there's uh, uh, been kind of a, a re-discovering uh, of the Holy Spirit in some circles, and people are talking about the Holy Spirit, and people are thinking about, well, how do we experience more of the Holy Spirit, and so forth. And that's, of course, a big emphasis for us here in both Grace Christian Fellowship of Dayton and, and of Bangalore. How do we know the Holy Spirit? How do we stay filled with his presence, person and power and ministry and presence? Because, as Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll lead and guide you into all the truth. Now, Jude, verses 3 and 4, and Revelation uh, 22, uh, I think verse 18, make it very clear that the Holy Spirit is not writing Scripture anymore. And almost all Christians have understood that since the first century. Okay, so there is not new revelation in the form of an inscripturated word outside the 22 books that we recognize as the New Testament. I'm sorry, 27 books, 22 epistles, uh, counting revelation as a, as a letter or epistle. And, uh, and the five historical books of the four Gospels and Acts. In the 39 books that we use of the Old Testament, uh, God's not adding to Scripture anymore. And so there's no new revelation. But there is always, in every generation, new and, and renewed illumination of the Scriptures. 
there is always uh, a need to find uh, things in Scripture that have always been there that we're neglecting or that we don't understand or that we don't see correctly. And so the importance of the Holy Spirit is he came to, he's the light of the world. He came to illuminate the scriptures and he bears witness of Christ. And so um, what we're, uh, I believe is God's purpose uh, in the nations today is, is God is going to take the church through a process of rediscovering because that's a necessary stepping stone toward restoring biblical Christianity. You can't live biblical Christianity if you don't know where you're going. You know, the, if the blind lead the blind, they both fall in a pit. You don't, you can't walk, make your way uh, clearly if you don't see clearly. You know, uh, Nathan quoted earlier Psalm 119, verse 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Uh, you know, the word of God has a lamp function, which kind of illuminates the immediate ground. Like it helps us know what are we called to do today. But it also has kind of a light function in, in you look at where are we going? You know, uh, when I uh, go in the uh, late uh, evenings and afternoons to places like Clifton Gorge, I cheat a little bit. Don't, you know, I, I probably shouldn't put this on the video cast, but I uh, carry a little backpack pack with, uh, you know, a, a battery uh, loaded uh, fluorescent light thing that really lights up the path well because I often get conveniently deep, too deep in the woods to make it out before it gets dark. And uh, so I've occasionally had uh, the park rangers in the parking lot where, because my car is the only one still in there and they're like, you know, you're supposed to be out at dark. Yeah, sorry, I got lost. Yeah, you got so lost you brought a light ahead of time. <laughs> oh well, but, uh, but I certainly wouldn't want to be hiking in Clifton Gorge, without that light and lamp, um, you know, I I once uh, made it uh, had to had to walk uh, home through a bunch of ravines and stuff. Uh, it uh, well, you know, well after midnight when I was in high school and uh, found myself stepping right off a cliff. Uh, not not good. Should it would have been a lot better had I had a light unto my feet and a, or a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So uh, it, it's uh, pretty important to get things illuminated, in other words, uh, which is one of the main functions of our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so if you don't think relationship with the Holy Spirit is, is super important, I would say your, your thinking is quite incorrect. All right, so we've been doing this series, and we've been looking at 15 emphasis. We, we are halfway through, or more probably more than halfway through, emphasis for looking at New Testament leadership roles, titles, models, qualifications, and development. I don't know if uh, we're going to try to work out this week, uh, Josiah, hopefully you're listening to this, that we're going to, uh, don't be talking to whoever you're talking to back there. <laughs> uh, they're, they're back there laughing and joking, but, but I wasn't saying anything funny. But uh, anyway, no, I'm just, anyway, just messing with them. 
Um, now I forgot my my train of thought. Um, oh, that we you know we need to find a way to get the outlines on the on the website or available with the podcast or whatever. Uh, as you know, you can always uh, make sure. By the way, at the end of today that we put on the screen while we're still video casting a couple uh, email addresses where people, if they want the link to see the wedding or if they want the outline, uh, you can always email request and we'll send you the outline. Uh, because if you're going to go back and listen to it as an audio podcast or go back and rewatch the video cast or whatever, it's a lot easier to follow it if you have the outline, especially since I'm, as you know, all over the place. Uh, <laughs> okay. Good. So, and then hopefully, uh, for those who are watching, what we're going to, I don't know what's the earliest part of the week we can have the address for what the upcoming Sunday video cast. Okay, so what we need to make sure is that every everybody that we can in the church is posting that on their Facebook and that we're getting that video link out. I've actually heard from a number of Christian uh, friends, and that there are a number of churches that are not doing video casts, and they're just uh, closed. And uh, so I actually was talking to someone who uh, wanted to watch ours just because their church isn't even doing one right now. So, um, and of course, ours, uh, we're just learning how to do this. Hopefully, it'll get a little better all the time. I doubt my delivery will get any better, but oh well. Uh, uh, I'll work on it someday. All right, so uh, if you have your outline, flip over to the second page, and uh, because what we're, we're doing here is, is uh, emphasis 4F, 4G, and 4H, which we're looking at the verse where it says in Ephesians 4 that Christ gave gifts to men, of Ephesians 4, 7, and then in 8, and that in Ephesians 4, 11, it tells us that those gifts were apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Uh, also in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, and 28, he lists apostles, prophets, teachers, helps, administrations. And uh, I, a lot of people call this uh, the five-fold ministry. And just in case you, uh, I think we think quite incorrectly about ministry today, so this let me clarify something there. You always hear people go, oh, I got a call to ministry when I was 16 or whatever. <laughs> and, um, and we kind of relate to it in a, sort of a selfish, puffed up way. But I always say, if you're, you know, if you got a call to ministry, uh, you probably should have avoided that call. <laughs> like, what are you nuts? That's, uh, <laughs> so, you know, be, if, if you go back and think more, Unfortunately, in, in America, I think that there was such a desire to throw off the British in uh, the, the period of 1775 to 1781 that in our early constitutional days, we uh, called a lot of our key offices the Secretary of the Treasury or the Secretary of War or the Secretary of State. But almost all other English-speaking countries, Canada, India, Kenya, uh, Etc. Australia, New Zealand, they call it the minister of this or that, and that is so helpful to think of ministry in a much in a, in the in what it really should be. When you, we think of the ministry, for instance, of the Holy Spirit in our day, we become so man-centered 
that we think of what does the Holy Spirit do for me? And so if we think about the ministry of Christ, we think, oh, what's in it for me? But a minister represents the country that sent him. So the ministry of the Holy Spirit begins with what does the Father and Son send him to do? When we read the Nicene Creed, we talk about the Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father and the Son. Jesus uh, spends all of John 13, 14, 15, and 16, which is John's account of the Last Supper, telling us he's about to go to, to be with the Father, and he's going to prepare a place for us, which we've misinterpreted in modern times as heaven, but it has nothing to do with heaven. He's preparing a place for us in his body, in his family, in his a household to do the things you do in a household. Everybody has jobs in the household and everybody contributes to the economy of the household. That's why if you love your kids, you teach them how to empty the wastebaskets when they're little and you teach them how to clean their room, even though it's a lot quicker to do the dishes yourself than to teach them how to do the dishes. But I can remember, like, I was brought up by wonderful Christian parents. And so by kindergarten, I uh, did the dishes every other week with my oldest brother, David. And then the opposite weeks, my sister and my other brother took their turn. But, you know, when I was four, I could do the dishes. Uh, you know, I, of course, I only did the drying part. My older brother did the washing part. But I could at least dry the dishes and put them away, you know, because I was four. You should be able to do that by the time you're four. And uh, it wasn't a matter of like, what's in it for me? I belonged to the household, so the, you know, so I had I was called to the ministry, the ministry of drying the dishes and putting them away, and ta and taking out the trash. And uh, it's I've never had a I've never belonged to a church that my first job in the church wasn't that I was asked to take out the trash. I envy Sam because he takes out the trash more than I do nowadays. But, uh, but you know, like that's a great place to start. Like here, you can learn to take out the trash. And that's, that's a great ministry. So um, because, you know, I know enough about humanity to know we can really create a lot of trash. So we're pretty good at it. And so we always need someone to take out the trash almost daily. All right. So. When we're talking about the, these ministry functions, what we're talking about is that Christ has an ongoing uh, thing that he's doing for the Father, and he does it through the Holy Spirit, through the gifts that Christ gives to the world, his apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, helps, and administers. And so the ministry is what we're called to do on behalf of the country that sent us. In colonial America, every one of the 13 colonies had a governor, and the governor was sent by the King of England and the Parliament. And the governor's job was to make sure that Virginia or New Hampshire or Maryland was uh, drinking tea, was <laughs> you know, having British culture. And if you go to any country that was formerly British, they drink tea because they uh, adopted British culture and the governor made sure that happened. 
And really, that's who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is bringing the culture of the kingdom of heaven into the church and from through the church to the nations. Okay, so picking it up there, we've covered, I think we've covered so far, uh, helps and administrations. Today, I want to talk a little bit about teachers. Uh, The word teachers um, in the Greek is didaskalos. It's same root as didactic, and it means an instructor, a doctor, a master, or a teacher. Hebrews 5.12 says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. And if you don't end the chapter where it ends, but go on into Hebrews chapter 6, 1 and 2 and Forget about the chapter break. It was added later. It continues the thought and tells us to go on and not lay again a foundation. Then it tells us what the foundational teachings are, right? What's the first one? Remember, repentance from dead works. Second, instruction about baptisms. Um, Faith towards God. Laying on of hands. The resurrection from the dead. Eternal judgment and so forth. So, um... What the Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is telling these people is you guys should be able to teach by now, but you haven't uh, been formed well enough in Christ. You haven't taken your studies seriously enough that you can teach yet. And I would say that that particular problem is rampant in the church today. So, you know, people always think I'm kind of nutty. Like the other day, I uh, was on the phone with one of our leaders in, in India, and it was just one uh, lady, a uh, wonderful one Christian named Aruna, who is uh, David's wife, and, and uh, they're the head couple of what we're doing in India. And, and we had a five-hour uh, teaching. And uh, one of the unusual things about starting to be old is I got tired before she did. <laughs> Usually it's the other way around. Usually I, I always tell people, we can quit whenever you get too tired because I can, I can just teach you for 12 hours if you want. And uh, so we, we uh, did a little Bible study for a little over five hours. And I get pastors all the time telling me, what the heck do you think you're doing? Why would you teach someone for hours, one person? Like, Get a format to teach 3,000 people. But you know what? I can't personalize it as much for 3,000 people, and I can't be as effective. And what I, you know, I uh, remember when Sindhu first came from from Hyderabad, and uh, we would have our Bible studies every Thursday at Wright State for, oh, three or so, four hours. And I would remember, like, what's so important is that... uh, uh, if if I say it this way and it doesn't connect, then I'll try saying it a different way. And then I'll try saying it a different way. And I have ways of asking questions to find out if we've connected. Right? And, and if you look in the scriptures, Jesus, of course, he did teach the 5,000 and the 4,000. And, uh, of course, they give it uh, in that, all that. And that's actually probably just the number of men who were in the gathering. So there were probably fifteen to 20,000. There's a place for that. 
But look at how many times, like in John 5 in the pool of Bethsaida, there were lots of people around that pool waiting to get in. And Jesus came and healed and encouraged and taught one guy. And then he left. Samaria was a whole city in a whole little area uh, wedged between Judea and Galilee in the middle of Israel. And Jesus spends the, you know, John chapter four with the woman at the well. One person. And what, and he's breaking every social convention because the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other so much that the Jews would actually, when they were from the northern part, like Jesus was of Galilee, where the cities like Nazareth and Capernaum were, they would actually cross over to the east side of the Jordan and go south on the east side of the river, then cross again and when they got to Judea to go over to Jerusalem so that they wouldn't have to pass through Samaria because they hated the Samaritans that much. And yet Jesus spends the whole afternoon teaching this lady from Samaria. And, and Jewish men did not speak to women in public. So he's breaking all the rules, not biblical rules. He's breaking man's rules. But, it, you know, if, if, you know, like, if read, read the Gospels through and keep your eye on that point, how many times Jesus invested in, you know, just Nicodemus. Jesus didn't say, Nicodemus, you've come to me to ask questions by night because you're afraid of what everyone else thinks about you, <laughs> you chicken. And, uh, and uh, you know, that's what I would have said, but <laughs> Jesus is a lot more gracious than I am. So, uh, he, you know, he says, doesn't say you chicken. Uh, and he doesn't say, go get the rest of the Sanhedrin and I'll answer your questions when, when there's 70. We don't have enough people to spend time on this. So I guess hopefully I've made that point pretty clear. It's, it's worth uh, knowing the Lord thoroughly, fully, and it's worth imparting that to one person. And especially if that helps you connect better and more fully. So let's talk about the three ways of teaching. Now, just to keep in mind, there are some people when, who uh, call it the fivefold gifts, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teachers. As you know, I call it the sevenfold. I add helps and administrations from 1 Corinthians 12, 28. It's just a way of thinking about it. It's, you know, the, the number is in, in whether you include it on the list is not necessarily inspired or anything. Uh, the, the fact is the, the inspired scripture lists all those things. But uh, how you organize your thoughts is not necessarily inspired. However, uh, some people will argue that a shepherd and a teacher are actually not two different things, but one. Again, I think that's just a silly argument because there, of course, a good part of what it means to be a shepherd means to teach. Okay? Uh, but there's more than one kind of teaching. And a shepherd didn't just feed the sheep. The shepherd also protected the sheep from wolves. 
You know, remember that David, when he attacked Goliath, one of the reasons he had reason for confidence was that he'd already killed a lion and a bear while protecting the sheep. Like John Gray, always killed him a bar when he was only three, Davy, no, uh, Davy Crocker. So, uh, so uh, keep in mind that, uh, you know, shepherds do a lot of things. They, uh, sheep, for instance, will just keep eating in the same place until they've actually eaten all the grass down to the roots and they're foraging in the mud and they're foraging in their own waste products. And that's kind of gross. And so a shepherd says, okay, you guys, he says Hebrews 5.12, by this time you ought to be teachers and you have need for, you know, someone to teach you when by this time. So let's go over to this pasture and learn. You learned some things about this part of the Christian life, but you didn't lay a good foundation about, say, the church or uh, or worship or prayer or uh, soteriology or eschatology or, or what have you. Maybe, you know, one of the things I do with every person that um, we're emerging into leadership is there, there's a list of books I give them about how to study counseling. And when they get to a certain point, I encourage them to take uh, the counseling class that uh, they offer down at Clear Creek Chapel, which a bunch, I think like 17 people in our church are going through right now. Even though we're in the corona thing, they're still doing it online and all that. So, uh, so let's look at three types of teaching that you should memorize these. Number one is information. Most people, when they when they talk about discipleship today, uh, most most Christian groups do not disciple. Generally, the few Christian groups that disciple are called parachurch groups. But you can hardly ever find a church that actually has discipleship groups for their own members. Now, if you go to a Christian university, you'll find discipleship groups. If you go to Campus Crusade for Christ, you'll find discipleship groups. Or Youth with a Mission, you'll find discipleship groups. Or or any other Young Life or outreaches to campuses. Uh, Navigator or something. But uh, those are what's called parachurch groups. Para means to come alongside, like parallel. And uh, what happens is this. Whenever God has called the church to something, it's partly in the DNA of a Christian to do it. So if your church doesn't teach anything about evangelism and how to make disciples, Christians will still try to do it. They might not do it as effectively as if someone equipped them. But you'll still, you'll still find someone in the church that goes to the jail to share the gospel even if the church isn't necessarily equipping people to participate with that. Or somebody will go out witnessing door to door in the cafeterias of a hospital or, or a university. Because people will do 
the things that it's within the DNA of Christ to do, uh, whether or not the church is doing it. And normally what happens is that is uh, parachurch groups rise up to do the things the church is supposed to do that it's not doing. There used to be a big movement in the 1990s called Promise Keepers. And Promise Keepers was a uh, men's movement that would that was so popular it would fill stadiums uh, with great worship and 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 then um, you know famous men who were like coaches and you know sports stars would come out and they would say uh, be faithful to your wife don't cheat on her oh pay your tithes quit cheating on your tithes <laughs> oh read your Bible <laughs> oh. Uh, Follow Christ. And it, was, it became very popular because men were hearing basic biblical things that they weren't hearing in the church. And Christians will find places that are telling them the things the scriptures teach. If the church isn't doing it, they'll find a sub side group that is telling them. Now, don't fault the side group. It's not, the, it's not the parachurch's uh, problem that no one's going to the jail. But rather, let's, re, let's restore the church so the church is going to the jail. Because the Bible has lots of exhortations not to forget the prisoners. And if no one's taking care of widows and, and so forth, and there's no one who has a nursing home ministry, and then, you know, go to the elders of the church and go, uh... Can myself and Bobby and Susie, uh, we've been praying, and we're, we're going to start a nursing home ministry. Oh, great that, you know, the church should be equipping you to do that. Never uh, forget, I was asked by my pastor to do the message at, because he had a nursing home ministry when I was a young Christian. And, and I, so I was asking my Christian roommate, uh, boy, I, you know, I'm going to uh, this particular nursing. I knew I knew some about the nursing home and in that nursery nursing home, and uh, I knew there was pretty much no one under 80 that lived there. And I was, you know, like 18 or something. And so um, I'm thinking, you know, like they they probably need to teach me. I don't know if I what do I what am I? So I asked him, what am I going to teach them? And he said, tell them how God used Abraham to start a new move of God when he was 100. <laughs> So I did. <laughs> I spoke about Abraham and uh, how he didn't see the things that he was longing for until he was 100. So anyway, um, the first kind of teaching is called information. Unfortunately, most discipling that happens today is only information. But if you see that, that doesn't mean information is not important. So Colossians 1.28 says this, We proclaim him, he's speaking about Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man, not just some people, with all wisdom, not just some wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Now, the ESV that's the New American Standard, complete. Uh, the Greek word is, is, uh, is, means basically integer or whole number. 
So the English Standard Version, the New English Translation, and the Revised Standard translate that Greek word mature. The New King James and the King James and the Old Geneva translate it as perfect. And uh, in Matthew 5.48, Jesus says, be ye perfect. He's saying that what he means is be complete, be mature. Don't just have a few areas where your foundations are thorough and equipped and solid. Be more complete in your understanding of scripture and God and church history and theology and apologetics and so forth. Be complete. And so one of the goals of, of teaching one another, because the Bible tells us to teach one another with songs and hymns and spiritual songs, is to make sure that we're complete. And one of the things that I always encourage people is know who's more complete than others in the church. For instance, there are certain brothers and sisters who know about personal financial management. If you don't know much about that, get with the brothers and sisters who do know about that and read some Larry Burkett books and, uh, and study Proverbs and learn about how to, to save money and make money, invest money, uh, because there's a direct correlation in Scripture between uh, wisdom and money. And there's, it's a very clear in Scripture that if you handle money wisely, God will actually give you more insight into Scripture. If you don't handle money with integrity, you will, be, you will actually be blind to spiritual things. I don't often look at uh, like who's tithing in the church as I pastor and so forth and who's not tithing. But occasionally when I do, I'm always a little shocked and a little scared because you always find a few people who aren't really tithing a true tithe. And I, and I worry for them because it's like, oh, my goodness. Don't they understand there's a correlation between that and being blind? And what you don't see spiritually can really hurt you. But it happens all the time. And unfortunately, if you study um, what's out there, like what, what evangelicals in general are teaching about money, they mostly teach about tithes and offerings. But there's a lot more to do with the full counsel of God about money. First of all, money is related to work. And so you have you studied about work ethic, about vocational things? Have you, have you zeroed in on the vocational calling God has for you? Are you working toward a better vocational calling? Are you getting the education that you need to, to have a better vocation? That might mean certifications. That might mean becoming a welder or an architect or a, a programmer or whatever. But uh, do, has God showed you where you're, you're to put your efforts in vocationally? That's a lot. That's not, you know, just tithing. Uh, work, work ethic, like are you like getting paid an hourly wage and you don't work very quickly or efficiently and you're, then you're stealing from your employer. And believe me, stealing will hurt you. 
you know, like at the end of the day, can you say, boy, my, my employer got a good deal today by having me on staff? Can you say that? If you can't, that's a problem. My employer could use about four more people like me. <laughs> Every Christian should be able to say that. Do you know how often I hear, uh, of course, you know, I uh, own a business for years financing small companies, and I hear all the time from people who own businesses, I don't like having Christians as workers because they're lousy workers. You know, uh, if you're flipping burgers at Burger King and God opens up a door to share the gospel, uh, make an appointment to share with him after work. <laughs> Don't share on your employer's time. That's your stealing. So, you know, information is, is what we're talking about here. Second um, Peter three fifteen through 16 uh, Peter's talking about the Apostle Paul says, just as, our, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of things in which some things are hard to understand, amen, uh, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. Now, unfortunately, in what in those parachurch groups that do disciple, mostly it's thought of is let me get them through these three books we use or some particular course of information. Now, that is not unimportant. It's very important. That's why we have what we call a foundational book list, which we're going we're gonna to revise uh, by one, one or so books this week and republish again. We have uh, what we call foundational articles. We have uh, a list called uh, books, uh, uh, 30-some books on six other important topics. We have a book list just about apologetics. And we have a book list just about economics. And, uh, you know, when, when uh, you, if a person wants to become a leader in our church, we need more leaders. We always direct them to read an introductory book or two on the three major schools of thought in Christian counseling. So information is very important, but it's not the whole ball of wax. So the second kind of teaching I would call formation. You know, if, uh, if you've ever had a coach in a sport, they're trying to do more than inform you. They're trying to form you. You know, can you uh, still put full effort in when you've already been running full court for 40 minutes? You know, it, it can, I used to play on a church league basketball team that the strategy was we fast break and ran so fast so much that eventually the other team would, would, uh, couldn't keep up with us in the last part of the third and fourth quarters. And they would just quit because they were too tired. And so all we had to do was stay relatively even until they were too tired to keep up anymore. Now that's formation. And forming has to do with character and so forth. 
You know, I remember uh, once I was at the grocery store with uh, my son, who was four at the time, and uh, he asked if he could have some gum. And I said, yeah, you can have some gum. So he had the pack of gum. And then I didn't realize, but he had put it in his pocket, and I don't think he intended to steal it. He it was just carrying it. But halfway home, I realized, uh, oh, we accidentally stole this gum. Guess what? It didn't matter that I was late for another appointment. I called the other appointment and said, sorry, I'm going to be late. I got something more important to do. This gum costs 25 cents. But it, what was so much more important what was that my, you know, in so many parents get this wrong today. Like a lot of parents would have gone back and said to the cashier, oh, we accidentally stole the, no. But my son looked the cashier in the eye and said, I'm sorry, I accidentally stole this pack of gum. Here's the 25 cents for it, and I'll be more careful in the future. Because he was four years old. And so he, he needed that formation. And frankly, I've actually done that a number of times where I forgot to pay for something and had to go back and pay for it later. I've, I've actually walked out of a... Uh, what is that place I always eat over there by rates? The freshest ones. And I had to go back and pay for it like the next day. Um, and it, what's, you know, kind of, what's sad is that if you, if you actually come back and pay for it, they look at you like, what kind of wacko are you? When, in, you know, like, you got away with it, you should have got away with it. No. Do you know that you, not, you didn't get away with it? Do you know what that would do to your character if you didn't go back? You know, I, one of my funny memories in, in college is we had a, a take-home geography test once, and the, and the teacher said the only rule, you can use any of the books in the library, look it up. Any, of course, we didn't have online or anything yet back then, but, uh, but you're not supposed to consult your, your other fellow students. And I, there was one question that I was having trouble finding the answer to. And so I uh, consulted another student in the class. And so I got 100 on the test. But by the grace of God, my conscience panged me later. And so I went to the professor's office with my test and told him, Sir, I cheated. I asked another student the answer to this question. I should have gotten, you know, 99 instead of 100. And uh, he, he was a guy who liked to tease me anyway. We had a pretty good drill. And he's like, Weiss, just get out of here. What is wrong with you? But, but you know what? But I needed to do that because I shouldn't have asked the other person for the question. That was cheating according to the rules he'd set. That's formation. And that's, believe me, every day, things like how hard you work at work how much you stay focused. Uh, you, your character is being formed every day. And guess what? It's the most precious thing you own. Let me, let me repeat that. You know, I like stuff. I have like, I think around 4,000 classical CDs. You know, I have a piano that I just keep because it was my mother's piano and it's a family memory. You know, I, the, you know, I, I, uh, 
spend way too much money on clothes and stuff like that. I like stuff, but the most important thing you have is your character. And every day it's improving or it's declining. And, you know, Nathan shared this morning at 930 about walking in the light. Every day walking in the light or not affects your character. So in 2 Timothy 4.2, Paul says, uh, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. You know, I used to, I have a problem that it was very deep in my character where we do ministry in a certain pattern where, uh, you know, like in the fall, we do a lot of evangelism and outreach and so forth because a lot of our ministries are oriented toward university campuses and high school campuses and things like that. And so I would tend to have certain seasons where I would stay closer to the Lord and be uh, much more careful about my character and, and so forth than others. But Paul says to be ready in season, out of season. It's amazing how often when I'm not in as tight a place with the Lord as I should be, that that's when the door opens. That's when someone calls that needs help. Be ready, reprove, rebuke, exhort with grace, patience, and long-suffering. Are you willing to uh, go over something? You know, it's one of the funniest things that I I often get into in marriage counseling where uh, the husband or wife will say, what's the point of talking about this again? We talked about this three times already. (laughs) <laughs> and I go like three times and you've been married more than three weeks. That's pretty good. <laughs> you know, and probably in around 3,333 more times, it'll start to bear some fruit. You know, it's amazing to me the people, but you hear that all the time. I'm giving up on, you know, my husband because... He already said he was sorry, but he didn't bring forth fruit in keeping with his repentance. You know, part of the point of when Jesus says to forgive your brother seven times 70, seven is the number of completion or perfection. And 70, anything that's times 10 is kind of like for emphasis. Uh, And so what he's saying is, he's saying, He's not saying 490. A lot of people get smart and go, oh, 797, that's 490. You know, like, and I'm already on 477. I can't wait till he wears that. uses up those last 13 times <laughs> so I can stop forgiving him. That's sort of missing the point of what Jesus is saying. He's saying, let your, let your forgiveness be perfect, complete where it's impossible to wear out your your forgiveness. You know, I used to say, like, if you're still counting at 490, you sort of missed the point. <laughs> All right, so that's um, formation, long-suffering, character. The third type of uh, teaching is what I call, is in impartation. 
um, I don't want to necessarily praise a particular kind of ministry or whatever. Uh, let, let me first of all give us an imitation, or, a, or I'm sorry, a definition that I'm. That's things like imparting zeal. Remember when Jehu goes, stand back and see my zeal for the Lord? Is your zeal contagious? You know, we're uh, learning a little bit about contagious things these days. You know, can, can, you get, can you impart vision? Does someone have a bigger set of goals when they get done talking about you? I've had a few compliments in my life that I've really valued. One of them was uh, a particular brother that uh, someone, some of you have heard me talk about, named Anwar. And he used to say, if you don't have a vision for your life, when you get done talking to Brother Craig, he's going to lay one on you. You know, like, uh, I, I am always trying to empower you with a bigger vision. That's a, that's a goal I have in every conversation. What, how can I get this guy to think bigger about what he or she can become and is becoming? Uh, the fear of God. You know what the fear of God is? Every, you know, in our sin nature, all of us have thought processes that tell us I can get away with this. It's not going to cost me that much. That's how I got to be this big. <laughs> Thinking that about french fries and ice cream. <laughs> I can eat as much ice cream as John Gray does without, with, with no penalties. And that's, uh, I can't. <laughs> um, I should just give him the ice cream and give it up. You know, <laughs> so, uh, you know, that the fear of God is, the lack of fear of God is actually, it's, you know, we get so weirded out about what stuff is. We th- the fear of God, oh my God, what it, it, the fear of God is just when you stop lying to yourself about what it's costing you. That's all it is. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. That's called the fear of God. Also, I think it's the second law of thermodynamics or something. No, it's for, no second law of probably motion or something like that. Not, not, uh, not Copernicus. Who was, um, who's the guy with the laws of motion? Uh, Newton. Newton, yeah. Fig Newton. Sir Isaac. Sir Isaac wrote some pretty good Bible commentaries, by the way, even though he was a heretic. Um, he was not a Trinitarian, but they, a lot of people still think his Bible commentaries were very good. Never, he didn't publish them in his lifetime because he was actually a heretic. Um, he pu- published them posthumously, as they say. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Impartation. Um, Matthew ten twenty five. it's enough for a disciple to become like his teacher. When you guys are bald, then I'll know that I'm really, no, I'm just kidding, that, that I'm imparting to you. 2 Timothy 3, 10, 11. Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecution, and sufferings. I love that. that. Paul is telling Timothy, he, 
Remember that in both First and Second Timothy, Paul addresses Timothy as his true child or true son in the faith. And what really spiritual shepherding, teaching, apostolic, all this stuff is, it's about what I call spiritual fatherhood. Remember that Paul says you've had countless tutors, but not many te- not many fathers. And the truth is, you only have a few fathers in this Christian walk. You know, I've walked with the Lord 46 years, and probably Ray Nethery has probably been the best father I've ever had. But, I, you know, I've, I've had a handful of guys that have invested in me enough that, that they are, are like a father figure. And that's why, you know, I still call Ray for advice at least weekly. And... Um, you know, it's amazing to me how many guys don't seek out spiritual fatherhood very much. But, your, you know, your father is somebody that you want to grow up to be like him. Now, you also have a thing called peers. And most relationships have various degrees of different things. You know, um, and sometimes even people like, I would say I've mostly been John Gray's mentor, teacher, father, but I just, I think it was yesterday we were having a talk about some ways he's really helped me grow over the last, oh, I don't know, six, seven, eight years, a lot. And so, you, you know, relationships have all kind of dynamics like that. But whatever you have going on with God came through relationships. And so that a teacher uh, is more than information. Don't forget formation and impartation. One, one example of impartation, there was a particular brother who I won't name, but I, the, the, he, he was really good at getting information. Uh, as soon as he became a Christian, I was having a weekly Bible study with him. We had different Bible study options in those days, and we published a calendar. He went after the six-chapter-a-day most aggressive plan, and he read, like, every book that we threw that direction, so to speak. Um, but uh, it, after a few years, he hit a kind of a quagmire, you might, like a stopping point. He got stuck, and everybody gets stuck at times. And where he was stuck was he, he frankly, uh, needed more zeal for the Lord to overcome some deep-seated lazy habits and so forth. And uh, now, I'm not one to necessarily be like, praise this guy and that guy, and especially usually with the people that are popular out there. But I actually told this guy, you know what I think you should do? On the way to work, you have a long drive to work and you have a long drive back. Listen to John Piper uh, audios. And I said, because he's very passionate about the Lord and the mo- his strongest point isn't necessarily, I don't think he necessarily has the greatest theology about ecclesiology and certainly not about eschatology and so forth. What he has is a lot of passion for God. And it's kind of contagious passion for God. And I hope you get it. You know, it's, you know I hope you get, get, get sick with what he's got. Uh, you know, you know, you know, the guys in the fellowship hall going, 
what's wrong with you? I've been listening to Greg Hoist videos. <laughs> You're out here. You know, I got, I got, I caught what he's got. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, I started having this insatiable desire for French fries, but. You know, uh, when Paul says to Timothy, you followed my teaching, that's information. Conduct, that's formation. Purpose, that's, in, that's impartation. So that's uh, 2 Timothy 3, 10 and 11. But look at those three words. First, he says, you followed my teaching. That's information. My conduct, that's character, that's formation. And my, uh, what's the next one? Uh, my purpose you know, if if you, uh, I believe that the ESV translates that word "my aim" in life. You know, if you've actually imparted your aim in life to where someone's aim has changed, and I'll tell you how you know that. I'm going to end with that thought. Your per, what your purpose is, you'll find yourself dreaming about a lot. Not just in the, the the type of dreams that are like when you're asleep. Some often it'll be that. You know, I still occasionally have dreams that I I'm playing basketball and I can actually play. And I'm actually not bad in my dreams, but I, <laughs> too too bad. Then I wake up and realize it was just a dream. Oh well. But you know, uh, you daydream about it. You actually kind of fantasize sometimes about it. It's kind of like what, what, you know, at the end of the day, if you were to go back and really recount your schedule, like sit there and say, well, what did I do with this hour? And you can tell a lot about what your purpose is. Your purpose will be very much reflected on how you spent your time. And if you actually made sacrifices, like, you know, I've known people who kneel down at night while they're studying because the pain in their knee will help them stay awake to study more. Now, that might sound nutty to you, but I don't think it's that nutty if it's commensurate to certain goals that, that, that require degrees or having read a certain volume of books or, or whatever. You know, uh, if you look, I, I, I don't know any, um, you know, I, I had a, a wonderful evening a week or two ago with Daniel and Christiana at their new apartment. First time I'd ever been over there. And somehow after, uh, Stephen was there for a while, so when he left, somehow we started talking about piano. And I started asking Christiana about when she started playing and da 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 and before long, you know, I had talked her into getting out her books and she's playing piano for me for an hour or so. And, uh, you know, I was very impressed with, of course, how well she sight reads. But, you know, let me just tell you something. She didn't learn to sight read like that in 20 minutes. She learned to sight read like that in thousands of 20 minutes. And uh, now... Whether that's that important to you, it was important to me because I love to hear someone play the piano. And uh, so I, I found myself wishing I was rich so I could buy her an even nicer piano than she already has. I mean, she has a nice piano. But I was like, if I was rich, I'd buy her a better piano. So, <laughs> selfishly, so, she could, so I could listen to her play. You know, uh, so 
that all that has to do with formation. And so we'll end there. All we talked about today was the was the thing of teaching. And a teacher has three kinds of teaching: information, formation, and impartation. And we are living in a day and age when all three of those are super lacking in the church. We are not taking information far enough in our biblical studies and theology. Very few Christians are. And we're certainly not putting enough emphasis on formation or on impartation. Amen.